I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads in prayer. Just start rattling off all the bad things I've done until you get tired of hearing about them or what? I'm going to talk to you about the judge of the fatherless. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't mean to be so difficult, Mrs. Cleaver. It's just that he's at the age where he doesn't realize how important it is to keep a promise. Which Bible stories you want to hear? He's just a Sunday school. Thanks, Dad. Welcome back to the Faith of the Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Carl Gessler, here to reignite the faith of our fathers. And I'm doing that today in my van because um, I made an agreement for my wife uh, that I would go with her and the family to for a field trip to the state park, Chimney Rock State Park, here in Rutherfordton County in North Carolina. And uh, neither of us realized that it actually was like a two-part Thing where there are classes for the kids in the morning and then hiking in the afternoon so it was much bigger commitment than I realized and I'm on a bit of a time crunch so I'm going ahead I'm recording this today in in my van um, and uh, I wanted to share with you some thoughts about revival because we just got back from our uh, tour our um, we called it the mobile church tour which you could call all of our trips the mobile church tour that's kind of what we do we are uh, modern-day revivalists, I, sh- I should say I am, and I take my family along with me. You know, in the old days, the Methodists um, would send around circuit riders who would go to from village to village uh, where they would, where most places didn't have a church, and they would be kind of like a, a traveling minister to try to minister to people on the frontier. We live in a time, you know, in America, we have churches all over the place, but we don't have uh, revival all over the place. We don't have um, we don't have churches that are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't see lives being changed all over the place. And so, um, my goal is to see that happen in America. So, I wanted to talk a little bit about what is revival. We went chasing it. I don't think we've caught it yet. Um, and uh, in truth, like. W- you know, there are lots of different ways of thinking about revival. What is that? For some people, that that's like a, a meeting that their church puts on every year. They say, we're having a revival, which means they have church services every day of the week for a week or maybe two weeks or whatever. There's a lot of emotionalism. There's a lot of um, hype. There's a lot of pressure for to get you to respond, maybe to come uh, make some kind of commitment to the church or come down front, confess some sins or something. Um that's not that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about revival. When I think of revival, I think of people genuinely coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, uh, people who have been lost coming to faith, people who have been stuck in sin being delivered, um, people being filled with a passion and a love for Jesus, uh, and just beginning to get their lives... Um, organized around the confession that Jesus is Lord. Uh, so this is nothing nothing extraordinary. I mean, it is the goal of the church, although it doesn't seem like in many places that that is actually the goal of many of these places we call church. Um, that's one of the reasons my wife and I started doing church in our home, because with uh, all the shutdowns in 2020, um, it made me realize that so many of, um, I guess I kind of knew this, but it was just like it, it was the final nail in the coffin of just realizing that 
the um, the priorities of many of these um, organized structures of religion. Um, you know, let me let me back up a little bit. When people look at a church building, they say that's the church, and I agree. Many of the churches in that building, um, but the church there is only one church, and it's all those who believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, if you've been baptized, you call him Lord, um, and the Spirit of God lives in you, you are the church. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you are the church. What we call church, I think of more as a ministry. It's an organized ministry. So they meet in this building, they have a structure, they have a mission statement, they have methods to trying to achieve their goals. And um, so... When I look at these different churches, I look at them as ministries, not as like competing churches. There is one church, and the church is in many of these um, denominations, many of these box churches and traditional churches or whatever. But not many of them are actually meeting the objective that I have when, um, when I'm doing ministry. My goal is to see lives changed. I want people delivered from... Um, from demons. I want them delivered from pornography. I want them delivered from uh, addictions. I want them delivered from depression, from a spirit of suicide. I want them to have the joy of the Lord. I love to worship. I'm, I'm a worship leader. I've been doing that for over 20 years because of the, I there's nothing I want to do more. It's I enjoy it. I love it. It's the, and it's not it's not the music. Like I enjoy music. I love music, but that's not really. I didn't get into leading worship because I love music. I got into leading worship because the joy of the Lord is my strength. I actually didn't play music at all until I began to worship. I would say that I became a worship leader, and by being a worship leader, eventually I became a musician as well. But my first love is the presence of God. That's what I want. That's what I'm after. And I'm always amazed when people don't share that passion uh, for God's presence, especially people who call themselves Christians. It's like, why? This is like the best thing in the world, to be in God's presence through worship. So, one of my objectives is to see people come into uh, a place where they just want to worship. They just want to be in God's presence. They want what He wants. They're passionate about what is right. They're, they're willing to die for what is right. Um, and so, when we travel around, my goal is to see lives changed. When, when the world, when people shut down their churches to, uh, because the government said so, uh, when they shut down their churches, especially in this case, when they don't actually believe what's being told to them by CNN, which you never should anyway, but when the news is telling you to be afraid of this, be afraid of that, and you know, as a, when pastors know, church leaders know, this isn't legit, uh, and they shut down their churches anyway because they're afraid of what people think, that is not anything close to my objective. That is a spirit of fear. You know, you might be afraid of the virus. Uh, you might be afraid of what people think of you. Both of those are ungodly fears. Now, I'm afraid of the government, and I, I admit that, and sometimes that has made me... Um, you know, act the wrong way because fear is not from God. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. But there's also a righteous indignation when um, injustice is done that you're supposed to stand up for the rights of the poor. That's why I'm in 
uh, pro-life work because nobody is standing up for these children that are being murdered. Um, and in the same way, when when the churches are being shut down, uh, not because the virus is really going to kill us all, uh, and not because, um, even if the virus was as bad as they said it was, the church, what's the church supposed to be there out in the open, ready to comfort and console people, ready to minister to their needs, ready to pray for them that they'd be healed in Jesus' name. And instead, we were shutting down our doors and running and hiding, acting in a spirit of fear. So that's not revival. Um, and so I'm, I'm seeking to, to uh, live a life that's of faith, uh, and I want other people to do the same. So we've traveled to you know, every state in the union except for Hawaii, and we've done it by faith. And um, we do that because we want other people to say, you know what, I don't need to wait till my fundraiser hits a certain point. I can act now because Jesus is able, Jesus will provide. That's been our experience. It has not been easy, but it's been good. And Jesus has been very faithful, and we live debt-free, um, and we have a you know, over 10 years of uh, memories, of amazing memories for us and our kids that have happened because we stepped out in faith and we have touched lives. So, in this past trip, people often ask us about our trips. Um, you know, we got to share the gospel with Muslims in Dearborn. We got to share the gospel with uh, some people working at a hotel, one young lady, a 19-year-old who was trying to get custody of her um, siblings, because her mom was an ath- a meth addict, and my sister Greta shared the gospel with her, and as she's sharing with her, another girl who worked at the hotel came up and was just amazed, because this other girl was a Christian, and she had been witnessing to this girl, and so this 19-year-old, oh, I mean, she was on the verge of getting baptized that afternoon in the hotel pool, and I pray that by now that has happened, you know, um, so I don't know if we'll ever know the full story there, but God was using us. I got to pray for a man who uh, had a sports car, and he had these leather seats that had <clears throat> uh, the Freemason symbol on them. And I uh, talked to him about that, and it turns out that he bought the car from somebody else. But he's like, I know what you're talking about, though, and I know Freemasonry is evil. My grandfather was a Freemason. Anyway, so I, I offered—he said he was not a believer— but I offered to pray for him and to, bl- uh, to pray for his car uh, because I believe that, you know, Freemasonry is a curse. And he obviously inherited a car that had the marks of a curse on it. So I just broke those curses off in Jesus' name. I blessed his vehicle, prayed for protection over him, and then just spoke into his life through prayer, too, prophetically. And um, by the end of it, he was... Uh, I believe he was cheering up, and he was kind of backing away from me in in a kind of awe. And he's like, it's on you. And I knew it from the moment I saw you. He's he's all over you. I don't remember if he said he or it, whatever. I don't even know what he knew what he was describing. But I know that the Holy Spirit was touching him through my prayer. And so praise God for that. We sang at a teen challenge in Rearsburg, ten, um, Pennsylvania. I think maybe 200 people there, uh, a raucous group as my kids and I, uh, my sister led worship. Um, they just loved that they ate it up. Then my wife Susie shared testimony of being delivered from a spirit of anger. And then we exercised, uh, or we did, um, 
group deliverance, like a mass deliverance service where we just renounced the spirit of anger, uh, you know, just focused on that one thing. And uh, a man came up to us afterwards. He'd been talking for a while. He said to my wife, he said, when you, when you were praying, um, I also uh, believe that something left me. And so, um, you know, we, we saw God doing the stuff. So we went, we chased revival, and in a sense, we saw it, but that's not really what I would call revival. I've been listening to a podcast called Remnant Radio, which uh, I recommend to you if you want to. Um, th- these guys kind of dive into kind of charismatic issues, but they d- debate people who don't, who are more cessationists, who don't believe the gifts are for today. So it's a good uh, analytical way of thinking about these things, talking about these things. Um, but they were talking about revival. They were talking about the Toronto Blessing and Brownsville. I remember when the Brownsville revival was going on in Florida because uh, there was a lady at the Baptist church that we were going to at the time, and, and we were never Baptist. My dad was never Baptist. My um, my mom, as uh, in her adult years, was never Baptist. Um, we always identified in the more charismatic realm. But this lady went down to Brownsville. She was all excited. She brought up this video and showed it to us. Um, and I remember watching it and it was a guy praying and all these people falling down, being slain in the spirit. And as a kid, I was like, this is weird. This is creepy. And my dad looked uncomfortable and was kind of like, I think he was trying to keep an open mind and to be, um, you know, tactful or, uh, diplomatic, but I, I, I could tell in his face, he was uncomfortable with it. And, you know, I just wrote it off as, that's a bunch of wackies. But on this, uh, you know, wackies is a word for people who are crazy. Uh, so the, uh, you know, I, I uh, just wrote that off as like, that's, that's crazy stuff. That's not what I'm looking for. But I've been listening to Remnant Radio, and these guys, some of them were in uh, Toronto. They were they firsthand experiences, people that were... Um, pastoring uh, some of the same churches at that time up in Toronto. And to hear them talk about it, you know, made me realize I misjudged, um, sort of. I sort of misjudged. And, and their kind of conclusion was God was really at work, um, and but mistakes were made. Also, misconceptions happen. And, you know, uh, one of the things I'm realizing is that the Holy Spirit does stuff in us sometimes that doesn't look good on camera. It makes viral videos, people convulsing or whatever, that um, it's, it doesn't make good publicity, but it doesn't mean that God isn't at work. Um, and I like what Bill Johnson said about manifestations. He said, sometimes I've seen the same manifestation three different times in three different ways. He said, one time it was the Holy Spirit at work. One time it was someone wanting attention and one time, it was a demonic manifestation. And how do you know? Um, you know by the fruit. Does a person look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, love Jesus more, love the church more, love the Bible more? If that's the fruit of it, then it was of God. And if not, then it wasn't of Him. That's pretty simple, and that makes a lot of sense to me. But it sounds like, so in the Toronto Blessing, uh, what they call the Toronto Blessing, um, stuff started happening. People started having uh, encounters with the Holy Spirit that were strange. And these kind of encounters are happening in 
Nashville, Tennessee, and under uh, Greg's, Greg Locke's tent in the ministry he's doing there. Uh, this guy, Russell Johnson, up in Washington, and I'm sure many other places. I believe revival is in the air. Um, and uh, so stuff started happening, and they said that they believe God let them to have a meeting every single night until he said, enough. Um, and so that's what happened. It went on, you know. And my dad used to say, too, that revival is like, you know, the, the wind blowing the windmill. And when it stops blowing, what men try to do is they put an engine on the windmill. But in one case, the wind is blowing the windmill and it's actually creating life. It's creating energy uh, that it gives life to the community. When you put an engine on it, it's actually taking energy. And so um, sometimes things look the same, like a revival meeting that's like, we're going to have a revival meeting all week. Uh, but it actually saps the energy of us out of us because it's not a move of the Holy Spirit. And so some people think, the reason I said all that about the Toronto blessing is because that, I can see that as being what we would call a revival, a genuine sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. And by sovereign, I'm not saying that people weren't praying for it, that people weren't posturing themselves in a position where they were, you know, cooperating with God uh, and asking Jesus to move. But it was still a sovereign act of God. God started doing things. So Jonathan Edwards, apparently, um, he was an old-time preacher uh, in the Great Awakenings, and he uh, he saw some of these things. And he was a Calvinist, uh, very much a Calvinist, and not one we would think of as a charismatic. But these things started happening because he was living in the days of a revival that was an act of God, not the act of man. Um, and so I think a lot of times what we call revival is something that is strictly, not maybe strictly is too strong of a word for it, but it is a sovereign act of God. But when that's not happening, and, and, and Remnant Radio, some of the things that they said on there, which I think were really good, they said uh, that revivals, there's one thing in common with every revival that has ever happened, and that is that they come to an end. Revivals always come to an end. And he said um, that they must come to an end because people can't function in revival. You can't, uh, you can't live constantly in revival because... Um, you know, going to prayer meetings every single night that go long into the night. You can't work, you, you know, you can't parent that way. Um, so they can't go on forever. So that leaves me with the question of, okay, uh, of what, what do you do when you're not in revival? Because obviously a revival is a blessing. It's a blessing to a community. community. It kind of wakes up a community to say, Jesus really is alive he can change your life in an instant. Um, his his presence is better than anything on earth. Now, once you get that, and the revival is over, now what do you do? I think you need to live in personal revival, and that is kind of where I aim to live. And I believe, uh, in many ways, I do live there. You know, by traveling, by traveling the country as I do, I'm deliberately going out of my comfort zone into a realm where I have to trust God. I have to see miracles just to survive. And that is uncomfortable at times. But because we have done that, because I've done that, I have seen miracles. I've experienced great growth in my life. It's exposed weaknesses in me that has led me to seek deliverance um, 
for things in my life. That's a personal revival, and I can choose to be in that at any time. I don't have to wait for um, a strange, sovereign move of God. That's just something I'm called to live in, and it's something that you're called to live in, and you can live in revival right now. And I believe that the more people that are seeking individual revival, the more likely we're going to see um, a massive revival uh, come sooner. It's going to come out of that. And I believe we're already in the beginning of a revival for America. And I've heard a lot of people say this is going to be the greatest revival we have ever seen to date. And I believe that that's from the Lord, that people are speaking prophetically, because I've heard it from so many different places, so many different people. And I just think that that must be what the Lord is saying right now. And I'm excited about it. Um, Sean Foyt, I just listened to an interview with him, worship leader, uh, Let Us Worship is the movement. He's gone all around the country doing these uh, worship events in difficult places, places where there are riots, places where there are murders, New York City, uh, California, Philadelphia, facing, you know, they've had stuff destroyed by Antifa, they've had attacks in the media, um, they've had people attack their, their people with pepper spray. Um, and he's just been tenacious. He keeps on going. He was sharing on the Eric Metaxas show about his new movie, Super Spreader, which is kind of a documentary about what God has been doing through him and, and their team. Um, and they said that this atheist man uh, who, uh, from Georgia, makes movies, um, and he all, his, he's an entrepreneur. He just wants to make money. So he came to hear Sean give a... Um, a pitch for this documentary that they were making, not because he was interested in the documentary, but because he was in interested in making money. And Sean said by the end of that showing, and this is the first time they had showed anybody, this man was in tears. He was weeping, saying, this is what I need. I need God in my life. He became a believer. Just last night, I was at a home fellowship uh, with our friends down the road, and I met this couple, um, they they just had a child a couple years ago, um, and they're kind of older, an older couple for just starting to have children, and there, it seems like their life is just being changed by having a child, and also um, they've just been seeking. Uh, they told me outright, I asked them, "Are you so? Are you a Christian?" And they said, "I think, I think I am just learning what it means to be a Christian." And uh, so it was an honest answer, but he um, said, I do know that I'm done with the new age and that they were, they were hungry. You could tell it. Uh, they, they, uh, they had met their neighbors, um, some people I've known for a long time that were Christians. And they said, just watching their lives when the world was shutting down and people were panicking and freaking out. And they said, these people just had peace in their lives and it was real. And we want that. That is is just another example, and I'm seeing this all over the place, where people are waking up and saying, I want what's real. And they're asking, what is real? That was what my conversation with this couple was last night. They're saying, like, we have a child now. We want we want our child to know what reality is. Um, you know, there's everyone has my truth and your truth. And I said, but what is truth? That's what I want to know. And I think that's, that is an awesome thing that we are seeing I believe we are on the wave. <clears throat> the wave is starting to break of revival, and I want to catch that wave. And I hope that you want to catch that wave. Um, 
And I believe that we can. Again, I think uh, personal revival, we're all called to live in that. One of the ways that you can do that, one of the ways I can guarantee that you will experience revival in your life is by putting off the TV uh, and and putting away all secular music. Um, not because it's a sin to ever listen to secular music, but you want if you want to be revived, just put it away for a time, however long. Make it significant, though. Make it a month and listen only to worship music. And uh, make sure you get up and you read your Bible every day. At least read a chapter a day. Your life is going to change. I guarantee it. If you will do that, your life will change. And it's likely it's just going to be the beginning of a change. When you do that, you're going to notice a profound difference. And there's going to be a deeper awareness of how much, um, how much junk is in your life that is really stealing from you. You think it's benefiting from you, benefiting you. Just like the TV, you know, we get home from work, we pop on the TV because we're tired, we're stressed, we need some entertainment, something to to take our minds off the things that worry us. But in actuality, um, you know, there's a place for entertainment, but the way that we do it is more like a drug where it's like, I don't want to face these things and this numbs my mind from thinking about it. So we never get free. We never actually arrive at peace because we're too busy um, using coping mechanisms. And let's just put that away and receive um, the way God wants to do revival. All right, so the family's getting in the car, which means that I have to end this. So I'll see you guys next time.